Hey guys. Hey little filths. Little filthy little filthy little filths. We're back with another episode. You have to hear this. We're uh, stinking up the place. I don't like this trend that we have going. <laughs> Why not? Why not? It makes me feel gross. But now we have a name for our audience. We're also equally disgusting. You don't like feeling filthy? Our target audience is uh, 7 to 12 year olds. <laughs> yeah, we, we looked at the demographics. Yeah, those are the people Like the watching. same as Jake Paul's? Yeah. I mean, they're such big Peter Gabriel fans. Yeah. We should, we should collab with Jake Paul. I've heard he's into Aphex Twin. I'm emailing him currently. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's why I've got the laptop pulled up. Yeah. Uh, this is a shit. Oh, I'm your host, Ryan Terry. The filthiest of filths. Uh, I'm Evan Donnelly. Probably the least filthiest. Um, and I'm your mid-range filth, Lucas Cotta. And today we have a good... Oh, this is a show where we recommend albums to each other and then we talk about them. Mm-hmm. And we're going to roll the dice to see Google Dice Roll. Uh, Lucas, Mr. Dice Roller. Yeah. What numbers? All right, so you're, you're going to be one and four. Okay. I'll be two and five, and Evan can be three and six. Make the noise. Ka-choo. All right, it landed on two. Was that you or Evan? <laughs> I don't that wasn't remember. me. Are you it was me, <laughs> I think. I was like, he, said, he said them, and I'm me. not going to remember them. God, I hope we continue and you were so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Evan, what did you recommend? Wait, it wasn't me. Wait, it was me. Lucas, what did you recommend? I recommended Jar of Flies by Allison Chains. I just wanted to talk about Evan's more. <laughs> yeah. You listened to it first. Too. He's been Lucas has been doing this thing for the past week where I was like, oh, I listened to Selected Ambience first. And he's like, oh, why? Is it because you like Evan more? And then there was something else <laughs> along the lines. There was something else where you were like, oh, that's because that's because you hate my album. That's what. Yeah. Oh, because I had to like you were like, what's my what's your favorite song? And I pulled up the track list and you were like, <laughs> oh, you don't know. Also, yesterday, you were like, I listened to it. And he was like, did you really? <laughs> did you really give him a face? Yeah, we went... We, we, I like we, giving Ryan a hard we time. We went somewhere where we didn't know you were going to be. And Lucas and Evan was like, I, I bet Lucas is going to be there. After you canceled recording, he was like, I bet Lucas... Uh, Lucas, what'd you recommend? <laughs> Jar of Flies by James. <laughs> what the fuck? Why? He already said this. Lucas, why'd you recommend this album? Um, <clears throat> so I'm a big fan of like, you know, like where I started out with listening to music. I started out with like 90s alt and like grunge and stuff. And uh, this um, to this day, like still is one of my favorite albums. Um, probably my favorite from that era. Um, I, I just I love the production on it. Like I think it's like the only case where like amped up acoustic guitars like sound good. Mm-hmm. You know, it was recorded in a very short amount of time. It was. It was recorded in a week, <laughs> which blows yeah. blows my mind. Which leads me to my facts. Fact boy. Fact boy. Can we number get... one filthiest filth and number one fact. Can we boy. get a fact boy like music section where it's like in like a like a little segment? Some filthy facts. <laughs> yeah, can you make it? Yeah. Or I can make it, I suppose. One of us will make it. Do, filthy fact funk. Dude, we're coming up with ideas on the show. This ain't your grandma's dome. podcast. <laughs> Uh-oh. 
Jar of Lies is the third studio EP by the American rock band Alice in Chains. Released on January 25th, 1994 through Columbia Records, Alice in Chains was a 90s crunchy, grunge adjacent. Yeah, it's no crunch. Okay. Um, Alt-rock group consisting of, I'm going all the way to Alice and Chain, it seems uh-huh. to say. Uh, <laughs> I, went to the, I went to the bibliography. It's uh, vocals by Lane Staley, uh, vocals and guitar by Jerry Cantrell, uh, bass by Mike Inez, um, and drums by Sean Kinney. I did not know there were two people singing this entire time. I thought it was one person yeah, singing. there's two different singers. Uh... Evan, you want to talk about this album first, or you want me to talk about it, or? Um, well, I listened to it a little bit ago, but you listened to it very recently, so I feel I like it'd be a fresher in your brain. Would you? Would you think? I enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. I think um, it's a really strong. I think albums in the '90s generally were a little too long. Yeah, <laughs> especially like grunge bands like this, like. They they crept up there in album length, and this mm-hmm. is just a perfect thirty minutes worth of really solid content. Yeah, and I don't think it, they call it acoustic. I don't think it's acoustic, not really at no. all. But like, I also haven't heard this is my introduction to Alice in Chains. Same, never heard. I think I've heard Man in a Box once. Yeah, and so it's like this was my introduction to them, and I really enjoyed it. Um. Parts of this sound have aged, especially some bands from this era, have not aged so gracefully. Right. And there's definitely this, like, 90s sheen to it all Mm -hmm. that could either be, like, really appealing or really, like, dated. I think it's appealing. And I mean, I love Nirvana, and you love Pearl Jam. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh I can see those connect. It, they were they weren't as they, these guys seem to be a little like softer, a little more um, yeah, poetic. To be- and that's not the right word because Kirk Cobain could be very poetic. Um, <laughs> a little more acoustic e ballady. Well, to be honest, the the main thing I see coming from like the grunge sphere in this EP or album, I don't know what to call it. Either one, I think, um, is the vocals. That's the oh, biggest, yeah. most standout mm-hmm. grungy aspect of this is like a lot of the harmonies. I just, it sounds like it, it's out of Seattle when you listen to it. Oh, it yeah. sounds like a Absolutely. Seattle album. It does sound very Seattle. Yeah. It sounds very jangle pop too, according to the Wikipedia page. Yeah, I don't get that. No, me neither. <laughs> um, what'd you think, Evan? I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, some of my favorites on the track listing was uh, Rotten Apple um whale and wasp which is an instrumental um i also like really wasn't under the assumption that this wasn't an acoustic album so if uh if you're used to like coffee house acoustic vibes uh definitely not the not the one you're looking for uh nonetheless a great 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 sound overall i love the guitar tones in all throughout the album, both rhythm and lead. Oh, they were great. The lead. They sounded really good. Uh, pretty chill in terms of grunge, I would say. Like, yeah. I think this is when they say acoustic, it's just like acoustic in comparison to like a Yeah, dirt it's or definitely of more of an acoustic focus for them. Um, They released like another album or like EP with like kind of the same like 
acoustic like vibe or focus mm-hmm. i guess um but yeah most of their like stuff they're known for is like loud like 90s alt yeah and i mean they were using strings yeah harmonica oh it sounded great like there were some definitely like chamber pop influences uh especially the strings i loved how those sounded um yeah what do you guys think of the album cover i love it i kind of hate it <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah that's why he asked i've uh, looking at all of alice in chains 90s art Mm-hmm. I hate all of it. <laughs> yeah. I don't like a single. I think Dirt is one of the ugliest album covers ever made. Yeah. Could be a very good album. I'm actually excited to listen to it now that I've heard this. I love this album cover. I you showed me some of their older stuff. Not much into the artwork, but this one I I love the colors. It just it feels like it fits perfect with the sound. Mm-hmm. Like it it's a perfect package in my opinion. It's still gross, super gross. Yeah, but I think it fits grunge. But I don't even—I didn't feel like this album was so. Not that it doesn't fit, because I feel like the colors fit, and it's like a—it's a very striking image. I saw this in a vinyl store. Should we? uh, Should we explain it? You think? Sure. Yeah. Okay, so it's uh, the album cover is literally like half half of a younger child's face, and there's like a light coming from the side, and it's like they're almost like propped up on a table like their their chin is on a table and in front of half of their face is this jar of flies that says alice of chains on it and it's it's a very pink and red album looks very grotesque and like grimy i, I like the say. way that the jar says alice in chains backwards yeah did they write it in there they wrote it in the jar who who's or it's on say? the other side oh dude <laughs> <laughs> they wrote it they're etching it in but in the, the Dude, how do people make ships in the bottle? I don't get it, Chief. <laughs> also, this is a great like in defense of EPs. EP like this is probably one of the best EPs I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. Probably one of the best music EPs ever to exist because yeah. it was the first one in history to reach the uh, wait. Who's the fa- who's the fact boy here? All right, tell me, Fact Boy, why is this EP so important? It was the first EP to reach number one on Billboard Top 200. You're goddamn right. It sold it it, the with the first week sales exceeding 141,000 copies in the U.S. Also, the fact that it's self-produced. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, did they normally self-produce their stuff? Um, I'm not sure, honestly. Definitely not the newer stuff, but maybe the is their newest stuff good. Um, kind of. That's, that's, not, that's not good. That's they not had good this sign. um dude. So Lane Staley died, one of the vocalists. Oh jeez. Um. Oh no. And so they had another guy join named William Duval, mm-hmm. and he did a really good job with like sounding like the original guy, but not sounding like he was trying to copy him. Mm-hmm. Um. So like he took his place really well. <clears throat> And in a- that aspect, I think they, like, managed to, like, dodge that bullet that artists usually run into when, like, mm-hmm. their lead singer dies. Yeah, I was wondering like why Stone they Like, Stone Temple had... Pilots are, like... Mm-hmm. I was wondering why they had a, like, 10-year hiatus. Mm-hmm. Um, the newer music, though, uh, isn't... It still misses, like, the original guy's, like, songwriting skills. Mm-hmm. I will say, like, No Excuses and Don't Follow mm-hmm. were my favorite tracks. And, like, they were both kind of the more, um, I guess this whole thing is, like, ballads. Like, that's yeah. the whole thing on this EP. But those were just, like, immediate, they were, like, catchy, but also very, like, soulful. And mm-hmm. 
um, passionate, and his vo- their voices were something. Admittedly, I had to get used to, but I was like, I was like cool with it. By I stay away. Yeah, like Rotten Apple was something I had like listened to two or three times before I really. I liked it at first, just fine, but I really gelled with it. Yeah, after I got used to the band sound, it wasn't. It's not like that weird of a sound, but it's just something you're not used to. Something you have to like entrench yourself in again. Nineties grunge. Yeah. Also, um, you can. This probably doesn't come as a surprise, but a lot of these songs were like featured on their uh, like MTV Unplugged. Yeah. Can we have a side conversation about MTV Unplugged? Of course. I think that there are some truly great performances that came from MTV Unplugged. I also think that it was kind of a gimmick. Yeah. Uh, because it's like, oh, this is real music, man. We got acoustic guitars and we got good songwriting. And I think everyone realized that MTV Unplugged was kind of stupid when Corn didn't. <laughs> and no one wants to hear corn on acoustic guitars. Well, I mean, I absolutely love Allison Chain's Unplugged. Nirvana's, of course, uh, Eric Clapton's is really good, too. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, I mean, there are some great performances from Unplugged. Alanis Morissette. Alanis Morissette. Uh, we will talk about Lauren Hills. <laughs> um, I just mentioned this because I know you have been, like, we've talked about MTV Unplugged right. quite a bit. Evan, thoughts on MTV Unplugged? I honestly have no unplugged experience. Really? Except for the Nirvana album. I feel like that is the gate, the gateway into Unplugged is the um, Nirvana Unplugged. It's also the best one. So it's a, it's a real... I, I don't know. That David Bowie cover is amazing. The Man Who Sold the World. Like, yeah, see? Every time I listen to that... But like, other than that, I just... I haven't, I've, I haven't been interested mm-hmm. until like, like you said, I don't want to hear corn play with the goose guitars, man. And I don't want to hear corn play ever. Yeah. So. Let alone. <laughs> what like, about with... Hole? <laughs> did Hole too? And I unplugged? think Hole did one. Was Kurt there? No, but they did play like you know you're right, like the song that came out after Kurt died. And oh. That, I thought that was kind of weird. That's weird. Yeah, I. I don't like Hole at all. No, I, I hate like Hole. Either. I don't like their music. I don't. I already. I mean, it's not controversial to say you hate Courtney Love. Yeah. But God, I don't understand. Like Hole's first album was on Rolling Stone's 500, like before it was updated. It's like, why is this here? It was above like Wilco and yeah. shit. It's like, why is this here? Anyways, back to <laughs> back to Allison Shades. Um. Yeah. Is there anything else? Worth talking about? It went double platinum, or it was certified double platinum for the sale of two hundred thousand copies in Great Britain. Oh, that was in Canada. Sold four million copies. Uh, Jesus Christ! Triple platinum. My bad. It went triple platinum and sold four million copies, which is an insane. Can you imagine a, a record selling four million copies today? Yeah. <laughs> oh man. I mean streams, but that's a completely different thing. Mm-hmm. Also, like a rock band, like a grunge rock band mm-hmm. selling four million. I don't think like it can be overstated how big grunge was when it was around and how quickly it burned itself out. You know, it was yeah. like like the grunge moment was like ninety two to ninety four. <laughs> um, actually, like so, Lane Staley, the the singer that I've mentioned a few times before. He, like, um, I'm pretty sure he played in a band with, like, the guys who became, like, the guitarist for Pearl Jam. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And then, um, yeah, I think, I think they were in a band. Mm-hmm. I might be getting that wrong. The music, like, 
it's sometimes hard to return to because it's very bleak. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of the music of the time and of the genre is very bleak. Yeah. Um, I do feel like that this songwriting wise is probably a cut above the ed up uh, a cut above most right. within the genre. Um, yeah, really enjoyed it. Uh, ratings. This is a ten for me. Really, I, I love this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, is this like an album you would put in a time capsule? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's great. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I enjoyed listening to it. I want to listen to it. I feel like every time I rate something, I'm just always like, I don't know. I need to listen to it more. Yeah. (laughs) Because I'm I'm always just like, I feel like my love for an album is just, it goes with repeating it over and over again and then Mm -hmm. having it grow on me. Um, I'm giving this a, uh, (laughs) I was going to say a rotten seven, but rotten sounds bad. I was thinking the exact same thing (laughs) because I was also going to give it a rotten seven and then... I that feels wrong. If I feel like for me it's a mid to high seven. Mine's more like a low low seven, high yeah. six. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very enjoyable album. Um honestly, I think if it was made any other time in existence, it wouldn't have hit it wouldn't have hit number one. Oh, absolutely on the charts. It's yeah. just like I think it should be it was a very trendy thing at the time. Mm-hmm. I personally don't see it. But hey. Still a great, still a great album, especially for recording in a week. You got to admire oh, absolutely. that, and um, the fact that like I sometimes worry about the longevity of EPs, not necessarily albums, because I feel like albums have tested their like albums are going to stick around. I feel mm-hmm. like at this point, albums, if albums were to be killed, they would have been killed by now. Yeah, but like EPs, ooh, I don't know if those are sticking around. You know, yeah, EPs just feel like the budget alternative for people who don't have money at yeah. this point or for time like independent artists yeah rather but, than like rather than like being signed and and having an ep because they were signed with i mean allison chains is signed with columbia yeah they were at least so they had they probably they could have gotten the budget to make a full-length album if they wanted yeah, it wasn't to. their first album or first project they were successful it was their already. third ep so yeah so yeah uh mr dice roller i'm glad we all have our roles i'm the fact boy i'm the fact boy you're the dice roller and you're the guy that joined late (laughs) (laughs) just the dude who sits in the corner yeah watches us talk about the grammys Um, I don't know. I'm I'm not invested in this anymore. My album's already been picked. <laughs> oh god damn it. Uh no, I'll... you you can be odds. Evan will be even because they're spelled the same way. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. It's mm-hmm. a three. So it's you? It's me. The fact boy himself, the filthiest of filths. Welcome to the stage, Ryan Terry. <laughs> I'm talking about Peter Gabriel's 1980 self-titled album peter gabriel also called peter gabriel 3 and peter Ga- or, or melt because the album cover features him melting oh so like he released like multiple self-titled albums he released four self-titled oh albums. so he kind of like copied weezer <laughs> that joke that was, that was the same joke he made that <laughs> joke before <laughs> It's a good joke. You used it. You made the joke in the last episode. What's the <laughs> What's the point of a joke if you don't reuse it? Oh, 
Fuck. Lucas, ask me a question about Peter Gabriel. Why? Who's Peter Gabriel? Peter Gabriel is the... Oh, fuck, I didn't have that one ready. <laughs> <laughs> Peter Gabriel is... Why does he have two first names? Is that why you like him? <laughs> why is this a thing? Why is this a thing that people just... I just... It wasn't my choice. I didn't... I, didn't have a choice over the batter. Why do people like ever since it's like no one ever mentioned it in high school, but every time I meet someone in college, they're like, Oh, you got two first names. That's weird. I can't remember which one's which. Are you Terry or Ryan? His veins are popping out of his neck. I don't understand. He is furious. Pierre Gabriel was a 80s rock and pop star. Original in the 70s, he was in the band Genesis. He made Genesis' first five albums, question mark, and then he left Genesis. Those Genesis albums are pretty darn good. Wait. Yeah. Quick question. I honestly have no idea. What did he do in Genesis? He was the lead singer. Okay. He was the lead singer and a little bit of piano and a little bit of flute. Okay. Uh, and like other woodwind instruments. He was also a drummer, so sometimes he'd fill in on drums or write the drum parts. Uh, and then he left after The Lamb Lies on Broadway. He left Genesis because he was having a kid. And then I believe that was like 70. It was like mid 70s. And then in 77, he decided to release his uh, debut solo album, which is titled Car or it's titled Pierre Gabriel. Fans have titled it Car. So he's like. He's the 80s guy, I feel him and Phil Collins are like the 80s guys, right? Yeah, up there. It's a pretty killer goatee is a killer goatee. I say that because Sledgehammer was the most broadcasted song on MTV. Wow. It was the song that got the most plays. What'd you think, Lucas? <clears throat> oh, can I get to the facts first? I'm oh, sorry. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I was we just giving Peter facts, Gabriel. Boy, but, go. Uh, Peter Gabriel 3 is his third uh, eponymous solo uh, studio album. It was released on May 30th, 1980 by Charisma Records. Uh, the album... Features him going into a more... He was, he was always experimental, but I think that this is his most experimental album. It also sees him going into more political and more uh, like disturbing songwriting topics. He, the, it reached number four... Oh, sorry. Games Without Frontiers became a number four hit. And uh, the anti-apartheid protest song Biko also came from these sessions. Um, the musicians on, on the album include Robert Fripp, Kate Bush, Phil Collins, basically a who's who of who was recording in the 70s and 80s. Um, all right. Now, what'd you guys think? Dude, I've had like, I don't remember, like stuck in my head all week. It's so good. It's so good. I don't recall. I got no memory. <clears throat> I actually, uh, I loved it. I love this album a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, it was cool, like, hearing, like, a darker side of, like, 80s pop. Mm -hmm. That's interesting, yeah. It, oh, you go. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, it was enjoyable. I don't love it. Yeah? Yeah. There are some songs that I prefer than others. For example, Biko is a great way to end an album. Biko is an incredible um, song. And... I do like that perspective of a uh, dark pop, like dark eighties pop. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. It just, it just wasn't doing too much for me. 
he was really a like uh, he was a pioneering artist like mm-hmm, he was yeah. like intruder was the first song to ever use gator reverb right. um he didn't allow his drummers to use cymbals on the whole album and Biko got him banned from south africa yeah <laughs> just nice yeah that's it, how you know you're doing it right i know it, it's a very um I, I think this album, listening to it, hit me at a really good time because when it, it, it hit me when I felt like I needed a change in my songwriting. Mm-hmm. And like the way the album sounds has been influential to me since like the past two or three months I've been listening to it, especially since I'm working on my own shit now. Right. But the lyric topics too, where he like fully entrenches himself in these characters like intruder is a guy who broke into someone's house uh who like gets off to breaking into people's houses uh as one does yes family snapshot is about someone trying to assassinate a political figure uh lead a normal life is about uh uh, people in an asylum oh really i didn't i didn't pick up that Mm -hmm. it's about uh, well it's from the perspective of a nurse in an asylum Mm mm-hmm it's just, it's just creepy. Like this album's just creepy. I do, I do enjoy the lyrical content of this album. I that I think that's probably probably the most intriguing part of it for me, because personally, when it comes to eighties like rock, and I'm like quoting that because it's very loosely used. Yeah, I, I think it's 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 not just a rock album. Yeah, it I it's probably like one of my least favorite genres of music. So it like really. Like eighties rock, I can't. I I guess I think of like if you think of the really corny shit. Yeah, yeah. That's why I'm saying. That's why I'm like kind of using it loosely. But despite it being not corny, it still has similar aspects. Mm-hmm. And that, through the wire is like a very eighties rock song. Yeah, I think it's those songs more that I was just not really gelling with as much. I think the one song that like. I just thought was okay. It was not one of us. I think that song is just all right. But every other song, I think like, and through the wires cheesy, but like, I really enjoy it when it's on. Um, I definitely like, like the first four tracks the most. I love. That's a good, like album stretch to Mm -hmm. like start out with. I've heard some people say that you should start on start. Like that should be the first song. Mm -hmm. And then, but I don't I don't agree with that because I think Intruder and Self Control or No Self Control are such amazing songs. Yeah. Um Games Without Frontiers is just weird. That was the first song I had heard off this album. It's so weird. And like it took me a while to get used to the very sparse and minimal production, but once I did, I was really into it. Uh he has a live in Athens CD where a good chunk of it is tracks off of three. And I think Games Without Frontiers is and intruder are better on that live album like those songs were incredible live yeah yeah i sorry i just burped a little i'm gonna cut this out too how dare you i think you should keep it in i'm not going to though keep it in evan (laughs) yeah i got you um yeah is there anything else we're talking about do you think I can't think of anything. I think you might like so more. Yeah, you did mention that. Yeah, because it's his like '80s like pop breakout. Like I think Sledge Sledgehammer is like totally calling back to like the '60s Motown. Um, yeah, I love that music video. It's so good. 
My, this... my parents hate it because it's been it was on so often. Oh yeah, yeah. This got a ten out of ten. This got great reviews. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's one of those like critical darling types. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Honestly, all the albums this week are like very critically acclaimed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like this is all one. classics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Classics week. This is a classics week. Well, and once once in a blue moon. Ryan, <laughs> if someone week. says Phil Collins is better, will you beat them up? Um, I wouldn't waste my. Would would a would you bother thinking about the ant you step on? <laughs> That's a fair point. <laughs> I, I like I love in the air tonight. <laughs> I like how that's the I only love it. thing. No one talks about Tarzan, man. That's because the Tarzan soundtrack not that good. It doesn't work that well in the movie. I'm saying it. I'm saying it out loud. Why why is Phil Collins singing to me? Why can't Tarzan sing to me? Tarzan is Phil Collins. What this is just like an an omnip- omnipotent narrator? Singing about the events of the movie, <laughs> I love it. I don't. I'd, I'd it makes no sense. To I'd me. like for Phil Collins sing about my life just as I was living. <laughs> it's like it's like if, uh, no, it's it's not even like can you feel the love tonight? Because it's like at least that one is like in the minds of the characters. Like in this, in Tarzan, it's just it's, it's just, just Phil Collins. Guy. It's just Phil Collins singing. It's not a character. Uh, Wikipedia describes <laughs> this album as post punk. Would you agree with that? That this is a post-punk album. It's not the most post-punky. He talked openly about. He was very influenced by world music, and he was influenced by other post-punk bands because they were recording like down the street from him. Mm-hmm. I think the influence is there, uh, in the same way that Slint is an influence to math rock music. Yeah, this is an influence to post-punk, which is to say, it's not post-punk, but I think the influence is there. The guitar tones on this album are crazy shrill and super thin it's so good yeah I love this album. well like because if you have like the drums like taking up as much room as they do in this mm-hmm. album you don't like need the guitars to be carrying that much weight no no and like if if there's anything to take away from this album it's like how strong of a closer Biko is mm-hmm. as well like that song is just yeah killer i will give that to you biko is an excellent song i the fade out at the end it's very slow it's about a um an apartheid uh activist named stephen biko who was uh beaten to death in jail oh yeah yeah Yeah. and he um the bookends of the song are uh songs performed at his funeral so it's field recordings from his funeral yeah huh yeah yeah it's really fucking good, man. Mm-hmm. I love that song. And I feel like that song was an outlier from the rest of the album. A little bit. I think it fits the tone. I think it fits, but I think it was just the one that was the furthest from every other song. Where it doesn't fit for me is, like, the closest parallel is Games Without Frontiers, lyrically. But, like, if the rest of this album is, like, a um, uh, a look into someone losing their mind, you know? Then Biko is doesn't really fit into that concept for me, right. but it's still like one of the best songs he'd ever written. Yeah, do we want to talk about the German album? He did. I believe it was only two. So he did two re-recordings of this album with different versions of the songs. They're not the same songs. No, no. 
Um, yeah, he did two German versions. Like one was for Pierre Gabriel three, and then one was for Pierre Gabriel four, which is subtitled Security. And I believe those are the only two German albums he did. I honestly don't know why he did them. It's cool. It's cool that they exist. Do you think there was a market that like just like, there his, must have his been. label might have been like, hey, I mean, the Beatles did it, right? Yeah, I can see crossover between this and like the Kraftwerk audience, I suppose. Yeah. So like, I feel like Germans would eat this shit up. Oh, definitely. I mean, like, oh, I don't remember the exact term for it, but there was a huge wave of like just German new wave music that existed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was like a huge craze. So I would not be surprised if record sales were in that genre of music were getting significantly higher in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And his label was probably his label or even just Peter Gabriel was like, hey, maybe like we can cash in on it. Mm-hmm. Or maybe the dude just likes Germany. Who knows? Yeah. I uh, Peter Gabriel has been such a what I love about him is he's the type of person to like. Never he, he does things his way. You know, if he gets sick of the prog rock bands that's super huge that he's in, he leaves it and starts a super successful solo career. You know, if he wants to make a pop record, it then has a weird mixed meter uh, Laurie Anderson song on it. You know, <laughs> he does. He, he doesn't care. He just makes the music that he wants to. And also he his uh, relief work is super fantastic and his activist work. One of my favorite ones, I'm blanking on what it's called. But they basically supply camera equipment and filming equipment to people in um, countries that can't who can't to activist groups in countries who can't get that gear so that they can film atrocities happening in that country. Yeah. And that's a super interesting way to fight (laughs) injustice is to film it and get it out and to supply. And it's a very realistic one. And it's not vague at all. Like, I feel like a lot of these artists, when they start something, it's very vague. Like, oh, stop cancer. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But, like, this is, like, a very specific target that also ties into his artistic work. And you could tell that he just cares. Oh, also WOMAD. He does it. He hosts a festival called WOMAD, which is a world's music festival. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's every year. Um, I think Genesis did a uh, reunion, uh, show at WOMAD. Hmm. Very uh, very cool stuff. Excuse me, sorry. Sorry, I should have paused. Very cool stuff that he's done post music. He hasn't released anything in like uh, uh, original work in like twenty years. But no, no. Wait, really? Yeah. He's did. What if he drops like next month? I would lose my mind. He yeah. did a covers album with an orchestra. Okay. And uh, I don't know. He might have, con- I think he continued his soundtrack work a bit, but he's mainly been focused on his humanitarian stuff. Um, gotcha. That's enough me gushing about Peter Gabriel. Uh, what'd you guys think? Or what ratings? <clears throat> I would say an eight out of 10. Yeah. I would give it a six. Mm-hmm. A decent six. It's a nine for me. Nice. I, I just it I spent on it's been on repeat for a little bit now. Yeah. All right. So beautiful. Roll the dice. All right. It's uh Evan's number. Yes. Whoa. What a surprise. All right. I recommended um 
selected ambient works 85 uh, through 92 by the artist oops sorry the artist Aphex Twin Hey it's my album oh, Fact Boy, boy. <laughs> Hey if you act up that I'm not going to Fact Boy <laughs> I love that Eminem song <laughs> Dude don't talk about his name in vain on this podcast Eminem I'm sorry hey. God. What don't say it What Eminem Dude. Oh, I'm sorry. God rest his soul. Evan. There's M. only. All right, guys, that's the podcast. We're not going to talk about the this episode. I feel like this episode is long and boring. <laughs> um, I'm, like having good, I'm having no, a good I'm having a good I'm kidding. This al- <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> what? <laughs> I didn't hear you. <laughs> I said just like this album. Oh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Have <laughs> it go on. I don't even remember what I was talking about. You were giving the facts. I wasn't going to give the facts. I was just going to say why I recommended the album. Oh, okay. Why'd you recommend the album? Because I like it. All right. What are the facts? <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Evan. <laughs> Is the debut studio album by Aphex Twin. Richard D. James is his actual name. Uh, it was released on November 9th, 1992 through Apollo Records, a subsidiary of Belgian label RNS Records. Uh, the album consists of beat oriented ambient tracks recorded onto cassette. And he, reportedly, there's a bit, very little information on this album, and Richard James contradicts himself in interviews all the time. Do you think he does it intentionally? absolutely yeah um but like even the 85 to 92 has been disputed because it's like is it true that he was working on these at 13 to 14 um in most interviews he said that he had that some of this stuff on here had originated when he was 13 and 14 i don't think it's too much of a stretch no um the main the thing that's makes it a stretch is that the work is so good yeah (laughs) that it's hard to believe but not impossible well there could be something that he might have like written down like a baseline or a specific idea that he had when he was 13 or 14 and then like waited until he was like 20 yeah like made a song with it or something like that i don't think that's too far-fetched no me either and they he did like they said that he was building synthesizers in like when he was 12 13 building his own right yeah, I mean, one of I th- that's also one of the reasons I recommended this album was because of the pr- like the premise was so strange. It's not like typical, I don't think, like to have to have an artist release stuff from the past like 7 years mm-hmm. of like just making music and also for some of it to be like homemade electronics. Mm-hmm. In terms of like for instruments like he he made his own instruments uh in some cases which uh as a teenager yeah and the album feels very it doesn't feel like a compilation of tracks it feels like no. an album which is impressive if it's to be believed that this is actually recorded 85 to 92 and it was just like not scraps necessarily but random things he was recording and this is what he stuck with like it's very holistic yeah um, I think he has said sometimes that like the reason the quality is poor 
is because like they're just old cassettes that he had lying around. So, I mean, I don't know if that's true, but like, hey, that would be pretty cool if yeah. like he just had cassettes and would like throw it on the album. Also, some of the stuff on this album is so forward thinking. If it was '85, like to be doing this shit yeah. in the '80s, it's mm-hmm. crazy. Yeah, yeah, that that blows my mind. It's crazy. Like, in, like imagine living in 1986 and then making "We Are Mu- We Are the Music Makers." Yeah, like it doesn't sound like a thing. It sounds like far fetched for the early '90s. Like, definitely. I mean, listen to like any other dance music from the early '90s. Mm-hmm. It's just, I'm thinking to Rude Sandstorm. <laughs> That's like the and that like, doesn't and feel I, like it's the same genre, no. <laughs> dude. What other genre? What other artists are there? I don't know. I feel like Aphex Twin was like a forerunner, and it probably. I I mean, I mentioned them earlier, but like probably like Kraftwerk and German artists from the '80s. Uh, probably avant-garde and music concrete artists as well yeah Lori anderson <laughs> in the same ballpark yeah why not um what'd y'all think lucas what'd you think i enjoyed it i enjoyed a lot of the sounds i think like like especially from a like production angle like a lot of the sounds on here like are really interesting mm-hmm. um i do not think some of these tracks need to be above five minutes in length i do there is no reason for a song on here to be nine minutes long. I was telling Ryan, I think that just is a, it's a part of the genre. Yeah. Which yeah. is why it didn't, uh, which is why it felt like a wrong critique for me to make. It's like, Oh, this ambient song is too long. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, that's fair. Um, I mean, certainly if I was more versed in the genre, maybe I would make said critiques. I can't I, pay oh, attention. Eno. Eno oh. is another artist that was doing yeah. non-dissimilar that's stuff. Very true. Also, uh, Aphex Twin said he didn't know he was when he made this stuff. Yeah. Which is crazy hard to believe. Yeah. But, but I mean, you make, you make, I feel like this album isn't really ambient either. No, I was going to say ambient's a stretch, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Like, this is as terrible as a name as it is IDM. Like, this is IDM to me. Like, every, the songs have grooves to them. There's, or drum and bass. Like, there's, yeah. Like, the, there's a, very obvious percussion through most of the songs. Uh, they're, they're like, even, even TH, THA or like some of the other more ambient leaning tracks, like they've got, you, you feel a pulse, like something's happening throughout right. the song. Yeah. what do you think, Ryan? I really enjoyed it. I liked it a lot. Um, yeah. I do think it's a tad long. Again, part of the genre, like electronic albums just are long. Like there's not much you can... There's not much I can complain about that. In the same way that metal albums are just long. Right. Um, but no, I really, I really enjoyed it. I feel like I enjoyed the first half or the first eight tracks a little more. And I liked 10 through 13. I thought were all great songs. They were all very long and they were all uh, droned on for a bit long. So maybe I'd like it in isolation. But like after an hour of listening to this music, I'm like, I'm tired. You know, I not th- even like because it's like aggressive or hard hitting or anything. It's just like I've heard so much of this sound that I think Green Calcs to like us. Uh, what is it? Scott Key's Seventh Path is a great like stretch. Yeah. Like I, I really liked Green Calcs. I wasn't crazy about Green Calcs. No, 
I really liked We Are the Music Makers. Yeah, I, like I feel that like that's too. the one of the most active songs. Yeah, on the album, absolutely. Also, they sampled Willy Wonka, or he sampled Willy Wonka in that mm-hmm. song. That's like the the that's what the little audio clip is in the beginning. Oh, is it? Yeah, I didn't oh. pick up on that. Yeah. Yeah, no, my favorite tracks were Extol, Pulse With, and We Are the Music Makers. I also like Helios Fan. Yeah, that's a good one. Age, Age, Ages, Ages, Ages Polis, Ages, Ages Polis. Yes, that's what I would call it. You yeah. know, um, an interesting like observation I had was like a lot of like the the hi hat noises on here and the patterns they sound like like what trap music like became like the yeah mm-hmm. this had to be like the earliest like use of like that kind of it sounds like there's work. 808 kicks in it mm-hmm. uh in pulse width i think mm-hmm. well like you know dubstep like came from like if trap came from like industrial like electronic styling or house. or house yeah yeah i feel like there's a clear progression from like 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 trap is minimalist dubstep yeah <laughs> that's probably not true that's probably no. an unfair assessment um but i feel like there's a very clear track you can make from like aphex twin to like house music to idm stylings to like industrial electronic music to mm-hmm. trap yeah can we talk about the critical response to this yeah absolutely super well loved by everyone i mean uh all music gave it 10 stars pitchfork gave it a 9.4 out of 10 yeah, Thank not to God. brag, but the album I recommended, everyone loves it. Pitchfork loves it. Fantano loves it. Does Fantano love it? Yeah. Great. Um, I forgot I was going to say. I'm just teasing. I didn't mean that. I've lost track of I just I'm lost sorry. what I was saying. Uh, uh, but every, Come everywhere, on, Ryan. Everywhere, Seriously? I'm sorry. Everywhere gave it a five except for Rolling Stone <laughs> and Slant, <laughs> which is not where I'm going for my electronic music takes anyways. You're not going to Rolling Stone for your ambient well, songs? You know, I thought to myself, what does Rolling Stone think of uh, fucking Cyrell? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Oh yeah, it went on charts like in 2014. Oh, because of his uh, the album he released then. Yeah, yeah, which is cool and That's weird. Cool. Did he I release, like when that happens. Did he release like drug? What was it? Drugs in 2014, or did that one come out sooner? No, What's the one, one with uh, the that one, one came out? Knows? That one came out in like 2002, I think. Oh, all right. Uh, see, I only 14. Yeah, I only knew that one before listening to this. Me too. Me too. And it's not indicative of his work. No, it's not. <laughs> Um, also, like, I don't know what is a Richard D. James album and what's an Apex Twin album. And Wikipedia doesn't either. Because, <laughs> like, he had albums he self-released as Richard D. James. Right. But. I don't know either, honestly. Yeah, I'm very confused. But I think that that's part of the, like, I think he purposely likes confusing people and leading people astray on his work. Yeah. Um, that's part of the thing of being an Apex Twin fan, I guess. Also, this has been on my list for a very long time because of because of Radiohead. Radiohead have listed Aphex Twin as like one of their biggest influences for a very long time now. Mm-hmm. Definitely like reminds me of like you know Radiohead songs like the gloaming or like their Oh yeah, Kid A. Yeah. Definitely. Um yeah, no, I really I really love this album. I think it's a it's a must for any for any music fan. Yeah. Like and it's a pretty good introduction to this style of music. Yeah. Ratings? What would you guys what would you guys give it? 
I'd say six. A a, a green six. Damn it, I was getting just green. Uh, a pulse eight. <laughs> an, an eight width. Um, I would give it a seven. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just a handful of good albums this week. Yeah, yeah, I really, I really enjoyed this batch. Like all, again, I feel like all these are classics. Oh, Ryan, just you get ready for next week. Oh, fuck. <laughs> uh, order we went in. Yeah, that's it. Okay, Lucas. Um, oh, for for next week, <laughs> we he has music news pulled up on his phone. I, do we do? I feel like we do music news and then realize that it's always dumb. It's I was shit. just seeing if there was anything interesting. There's, yeah. I, I the only thing I could think of is that Bruno Mars and Anderson Pack song that I haven't listened to yet, but I've heard is very good. Adele was named the UK's official best-selling female album artist of the century. That's pretty of the century. Yeah, unsurprising. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is a bit early. But anyway, next week. I'm giving you guys, this has been a long time coming. Yep. Bloom by Beach House. Oh, a Beach House? Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. God. I've only heard Zebra. Or not Zebra. Teenage Dream. Teen Dream. Yeah. I, Zebra's the first track. Forgive yeah. my confusion. I have never listened to anything Beach House ever. You I hope are you gonna like really enjoy them, I think. Yeah? Yeah. Good. Um, I am going to recommend You Forget It in People by Brooklyn Social Scene. Uh... Finally, I'll get yeah. around to listening to this. I'm recommending Phil Harmony by Hiromi Hosono. <sighs> I knew I've it was never coming. Heard of that. I knew it was coming. Um, I will ask you for the recommendations again when the <laughs> podcast is over because I forget every time. <laughs> All right, I think that's it for us. This has been You Have to Hear This. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Terry. I'm the other host, Lucas. And I'm Evan Donnelly. What's your last name? Lucas. (laughs) My name's Lucas Lucas. Signing out. (laughs) Lucas Lucas, signing out.